glad you guys are here this morning. If you're joining us online, I'm glad you're joining us this morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Sean. I am one of the pastors here, and we are in the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, uh, Hebrews 5 is where we're going to be. If you got a paper version, that's awesome. If you've got it on your phone, you can pull it out of your phone. Um, and oh, here's, here's a little hack. I haven't said this recently for a while, so you may not know this. If you have the Bible app on your phone, which you should have, you should have a Bible app on your phone. If you do, there's a spot when you go to like pick the book and you can hit alphabetical. Some of you are not appreciating how difficult it is. Sometimes, even as a pastor, to find the book of Jude, Joel, Amos, second hesitation, you hit alphabetical and they just all line up right there. Just to be clear, there's no second hesitations. But it's an awesome gift, okay? So if you have it, hit alphabetical, no shame. Hebrews 5 is where we're going to be. Um, in that case, Hebrews comes after Galatians um, in the alphabetical order. Here we go, Hebrews 5. You ready? Hebrews 5, verse 12 is where we're going to be. Um, no, actually, let's start verse 11. Verse 11, right here. Okay, verse 11, it says this. Concerning him... We have much to say. Now, just a little context. We don't have time to get into last week or all that's been going on in the book of Hebrews. Um, but if you look at verse 10, the end of verse 10, the, probably the last word in your translation says the word Melchizedek. It's a name. It's a name of a guy. We're going to talk about him weeks to come. The writer of Hebrews is going to, he actually says, uh, well, just look at the verse. Concerning him, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. And yet he's going to soon spend a lot of time explaining Melchizedek. And you'll understand when we get there why it is hard to explain. Okay? But he says this, but you become dull of hearing. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. It doesn't take a lot of study of scripture or a lot of context or understanding to know that what he's saying is not a positive celebration of them. Right? He's critiquing them. The, the illustration he's using is, is of milk and solid food. It reminds me, um, when I was growing up, uh, maybe your household was this way, when you'd have family celebrations and get-togethers. Thanksgiving, did you know Thanksgiving, it's, it's only like seven and a half weeks away, which means Christmas is like coming up. Uh, I love Christmas, okay? But, oh, it, this is not important. This is not part of my sermon. This won't help you draw close to Jesus. But, uh, you know, as long as we're talking about just to be clear, Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving is the best week for sports. Okay? Here, here's why. Thursday before, Thursday night football. Friday night, Saturday, college football. Sunday, football. Saturday, Monday, football. All during this time, they start all these like basketball, basketball invitationals, right? The Hawaii invitation, Maui invitational, all these awesome things, right, are going on. So you have basketball all the time. Wednesday, Thursday, it's just basketball, but it's all the championship of the tournaments. Then Thursday, the Cowboys play. What more could you want in a national holiday? Okay, Cowboys play. Friday and Saturday is all college football rivalry games. Go Ducks. Okay, and then Sunday and Monday is more football. 
Is that not like God's sign of his goodness to us? Seven weeks away. Just hold on. We're going to get there. It's awesome. Okay? Oh, oh, that's, that's the reason I was talking about Thanksgiving. I forgot. Um, so in our family, growing up, um, we had two classes of citizens in our family. Um, there were two different positions, values you could have in the family, and they were determined. They, they, we were separated into two classes of people. There were the people who sat at the big kids' table and the people who sat at the little kids' table, Right? Do you have this growing up? There were the, the people who sat at the little kid's table or those who sat at the adult table. And I don't know about your life. Maybe your parents loved you more than my parents did. Uh, my mom's in the room right now. Um, for us, the, the uh, threshold to move from the little kid's table to the big kid's table moved every year. Right? As I was getting older, it'd be like, well, you know, when you're not in a high chair, when you're not in a booster, when you're not smearing mashed potatoes all over your face, when you're not spilling, the, then you can move to the big kid's table, right? And every year, every year, it just move, you know? Well, when you're in high school, when you can drive, when you get your, when you pay taxes, when you have a mortgage, right? It just costs, still, I'm sure if we got together a family gathering, my dad would want me to sit at the little kid's table, right? But the writer of Hebrews, he, he's, he's using a very similar illustration. He, he's saying, this is, in, in, in our language, here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you know what? In terms of following Jesus, a lot of you guys should be sitting at the big kid's table, and yet, you're still sitting at the little kid's table mashing cranberry sauce with your mashed potatoes and rubbing it all over your face. What's going on? You're, you're supposed to be over here, and yet you're still here. He uses the illustration. He talks about um, drinking milk and, and eating solid food, or your translation may choose to say eating meat, right, and drinking solid food. It's a pretty easy illustration to understand, right, like, like babies drink milk, but, but some of it might be lost on us because, um, because we have a commercial industrial dairy system, right? And so today, you could leave here. J don't, lose, don't lose perspective on this. This is like profound in human history. You could leave here and you could go buy milk right now. Like you could go and they have it in plastic containers, and you know what? You, you could buy milk, as much milk as you wanted, and there's just this endless supply on the slope that continues to fill to the front of the container. And you could pull more out, and suddenly, magically, more milk appears on the other side of this glass door container. And you could take that milk home, and you could make yourself some chocolate chip cookies, because to be honest, that's the only time I drink milk. You could make yourself some chocolate chip cookies. You could put that milk in the refrigerator for weeks sometimes. Right? Well, only if you're good. Anybody else, you, when you go to get the milk, I open up the thing, I look all the way back, and I take the one all the way back, I get the oldest date, right, to have the most margin, and leave some sucker with the one that expires in four days. Okay? You could get... Jesus' day, ancient era's culture, totally different relationship with milk. First of all, first of all, um, in Jesus's in first century ancient Near East, right, um, milk was seasonal. Isn't that weird? Because you, 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 know what, you know what you need to get milk from an animal? You need that, that animal to get pregnant. And then you need that animal to give 
birth. And only for that season could you get milk. And then here's the thing about milk, if you don't know this, right? If you just take milk and you just leave it in a tin, it goes bad, which is the way we developed like yogurt and cheese is we just left it there till it rotted. And then we're like, whoa, this might be good, right? Turns out it's fantastic, okay? Right? To drink milk... Like, it was just not a part of the custom. You would, and and we, we have, like, cow's milk. We have these dairies that produce thousands and thousands of gallons of milk every single day. They would have, like, a sheep or a donkey or a goat or a horse. And so to drink milk was so weird that adults just didn't really... The only way in ancient Near Eastern culture, in the time of the first century, in the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews, the way, the, 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 the class of people, the group of people who consume milk were babies. And the way they got milk was almost, there are some few exceptions, but almost exclusively from their mother or mother who's nursing. So, 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 so with that reality, think about the visual that he is making here. It's intended to be like a viscerally uncomfortable image he's painting here for you. Like you're a grown adult. You're supposed to be feeding yourself. That's what the writer of Hebrews say. And yet, you're still getting your nourishment from your mom. Should make us all a little uncomfortable. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do. He's, he's trying to say, hey, 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 you're not a baby anymore. You got to own it for yourself. You got to feed yourself. You got to be a grown-up. And, and so we want to ask the question, if, especially if you go with this really uncomfortable image, ask the question like, well, what do we do to not be infants, to not be babies in the faith? And here, let me just give you this caveat before we go any further in, this, in, in the sermon today, okay? You know when it's okay to be a baby? When you're a baby, Right? You know when it's not okay to be a baby? When you're a 37-year-old man in a kiddie pool with a swim diaper and floaties. Right? Right? Can we agree? Some of you look a little ner- like making me nervous that you're not like full whole, whole head agreement. Okay? Okay? It, it, so here's what I'm going to say. If like you're new to this Jesus thing, Right? And you've been wrestling with it, and maybe you're still trying to discover some things, or maybe you've been just following him for a little bit of time. Like, it's totally okay. It is normal, natural, and expected that when you're a baby in the faith, you are a baby in the faith. And the writer of Hebrews is not mocking those who are infants for being infants. He's just saying that for far too many of us, for far too many of us who have had ample opportunity and ample time, we still treat ourselves and we treat our faith as babies. Someone else has to feed me. Someone else has to take care of me. And he's saying, look, look, look. You've had opportunity. It's time to grow up and feed yourself. Now, I, I, you might ask, I would ask, as I was looking at the text, you know, well, what does it mean to be grown? Like, what does it mean to be adult? What's the difference between someone who's an infant feeding off their mother and someone who's feeding themselves? Well, you look, he said right at the beginning, we can see by the absence of what's going on in their life. Verse 12, if you got it open, look at verse 12 again. It says this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You have needed again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God or the word of God or the message of God. Oh, you ought to be teachers. The, the word there in Greek is the noun version of the same word in, in the verb version of that word that comes in what's called the Great Commission. You've probably heard the Great Commission. Even if you haven't spent a lot of time in church, you probably, when I say it, you'll go, oh, I, oh that makes sense. Right? I, I feel like I've heard that somewhere. Um, Jesus, after he's been crucified, he's raised from the dead. He has his disciples together, not just the 11 disciples, there are a bunch of people there because just to be clear, like in the Bible, there's this group of people that are called disciples or apostles. There's 12 of them and then Judas is no more. So then there's 11. And, but there's other people. There are all these other people in times that are referred to as disciples, which just means someone who's following someone else, right? Someone's following someone else. And he says to all these people, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The writer of Hebrews is saying what it means to be an adult, to be mature, is, is, is just as simple as being about the mission of what God's given you. You know, one of the um, most common titles that Jesus gets throughout the Gospels, um, one of the most common titles that people refer to him as is, is a word that's often translated as rabbi, depending on your translation, and sometimes it'll actually be translated as teacher. It's teacher. They'll come to him and they'll say, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When people don't really have a category to understand who he is and the, the spiritual significance of God in flesh and, and his atoning sacrifice, when they don't really understand all those types of things, they, they come to him and they see him acting as their rabbis did, as their teachers did. And so they, over and over, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Teacher, uh, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. What must we do with her? And, and this is how they understand who he is and, and what he's doing. So Jesus himself actually gives us a great model of what it means to teach other people. You know what he does? He just invites people to walk with him. He invites people to come about his day with them. And then as this great teacher, as this, this Messiah who transforms human history because of his own sacrifice, as our Savior, as the one Paul says, right? Paul talked about it, he says, he says, follow me as I follow Christ, right? This one that we're all called to follow in Jesus and the example he said of what it means to be mature in the faith. If there's anybody who is mature in the faith, it'd be Jesus, right? Mature in righteousness as the writer of Hebrews is critiquing. And you know what Jesus did? He went and he ate with the unwanted. And he sat with the rejected and he wept with those who ached. And ultimately, the night before he was to be crucified, he gathered together with his disciples and they shared a meal together. And then he went and he got a dirty pail of water. Now by their standards, it might've been clean. By our standards, we wouldn't have gotten close to it. He got a dirty pail of water and a rag and he sat down and he began to wash feet caked in with mud and bugs and rot and feces. 
and he took his own rough hands and washed their feet. He says in John, in John, uh, in John 13, he says this, right? This is what he tells us. He says, as I have loved you, so love one another. So what does it look like to be mature, to be an adult, to be grown, to be feeding yourself? It looks like living a life that looks a lot like Jesus, God himself, who came and emptied himself. Mark says, Mark, I think it's Mark 12, 12, I think says, he did not come to be served, but to serve. It looks like us humbling ourselves just as he did, even to the point of getting our hands dirty in gross, nasty, muddy, gross water, serving one another and serving our world. So what's the threshold? Let me just ask you this. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you got your hands dirty? When was the last time that you served someone, loved on someone, got your hands dirty into a messy world and sat with someone that other people didn't want to be around, that loved on someone that other people thought weren't worth it, that, that, that wept with someone in pain and heartache? James 1, he says this. He says, be doers of the word, not just hearers. I think the writer of Hebrews would sign off and say, you know the difference? The difference between someone who's an infant in the faith drinking milk and someone who is a grown-up eating food, feeding themselves, is just that. As people who don't just listen to the word, but do the things that God has called them to. Now, here, here's, here's the thing, okay? Um, 20th century, 21st century, 20th century, um, 19th century, I mean, for hundreds of years, okay, we have propped up this image of the church. We've propped up this, this um, structure of the church that has taught many of you that the ones who are here to contribute, the ones who are called to, as the writer of Hebrews would say, would be teaching one another are the people who stand on stages. That the people who are qualified are people who have degrees, people who've memorized a lot of scripture, who've gone to a lot of Bible studies, who can argue eloquently for apologetics, and that those are the kind of people that are qualified to be teachers. Let me, let me ask this question. When Jesus sat out with the hundreds of disciples that were in front of him, and he said, go make disciples, baptizing and teaching, how many of them had masters in divinity? How many of them had taught Sunday school classes for 20 years? How many of them had memorized a book of the Bible? How many of them were qualified by anybody's standard of the world? Here's the, here's the problem. Here's, here's the danger of the way we've structured church and the way we interact with one another is that many of you believe that the only ones called to teach are the ones who stand on stage. But let me tell you, let me plead with you. God has equipped you uniquely for the place he's put you. 
God has, God, has, God has put things in your life, in your story, that you can talk, you can share, you can love in ways that nobody else can. And yes, I could stand up on stage, Jason could stand up on stage, Zach could stand up on stage, uh, Joe could stand up on stage, Katie could stand up on stage, and we could, we, could, we could teach, but that's not what he's talking about. The teacher that we follow, the teacher that, the, 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 the kind of teacher we're called to be is the kind of person who models, who demonstrates, who shows who Jesus is by getting our hands muddy and dirty. Who live the way of our rabbi, the way of our teacher, the way of our Lord, who humble themselves even to the point of death to serve, to love one another. So my question to you is just this. Challenge to you, right of Hebrews is pushing on us, is to say, when was the last time you got your hands dirty? When was the last time you risked anything in the way that you love someone else? When was the last time that your love for someone else, for your neighbor, for your coworker, for a friend, for a family member, cost you anything? Because you see, the way Jesus taught us to love was by doing it. And every single time, you walk across the street to your neighbor to ask them how they're doing and if you can provide them a meal, if you can mow their lawn because you know things have been hard, because you know that they've had surgery, because you know that they've been sick, because you know their marriage has fallen apart. Anytime you call your coworker who's been sick from work and say, hey, hey, can I bring you food on my way home? Anytime you serve with UGM or, or every child or Ella Curran, you're getting your hands dirty. And you're showing in the way that you live your life, you are teaching others about the kind of Jesus that we worship and serve. So where is it? God has built you. He's called you. He's equipped you. And he's saying to you today, go, go and serve and love in the way that I have loved you.